Boom, what's up everyone? Welcome to Simulation. I'm your host, Alan Sakyan. Very pumped to be talking about how to get ahead. Career and professional development expert is joining us today, Zach Slayback. Hello. Alan, thanks for having me. Very pumped to have you on the show. We have so much to talk about regarding social capital, regarding knowing how to get to people tomorrow with these communications and advance our careers. For those that don't know, Zach's background is epic. He's a career expert, writer, and venture capital professional. He's the author of How to Get Ahead, coming soon from McGraw-Hill. And he writes at zackslayback.com, that link's in the bio, about how to succeed in your career as an ambitious young professional. He's also principal at 1517 Fund, a venture capital firm backed by Peter Thiel, investing in startups led by college-aged founders. And you can download his 12 done-for-you email scripts to help you confidently reach any busy person tomorrow and that link is below. And those are very powerful. They're very succinct, they get to the point, they have this really strong, uh, genuine, sincere aspect to them, which I love so much. And that's one of the reasons why we've been able to amass the social capital that we've have uh, on the show as well. So Zach, let's talk on the, on the big picture about the state of humanity. What are your thoughts about it? Well, it's interesting that you asked me this question today because I remember tweeting out this morning, uh, seeing the video of the Falcon Heavy boosters landing the second time, and thinking to myself, okay, this is the second time it's happened. The first time was a big deal, and like gave me goosebumps when I watched it. I, I, it, it was amazing. But the second time, it's not really a big deal. And we're going to get to the point quickly where watching rocket boosters land upright, which is weird, right? Like that should freak people out that that's happening it's just going to become anodyne yeah. and it's going to become ho-hum and it's just something that we see all the time so i think it's really easy to get pessimistic about the state of humanity to look at everything that's wrong and want to go out and fix it uh, but i am actually pretty optimistic uh, we've made probably more significant leaps in the last couple of years than the last two decades and uh, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about the future. I'm glad to be yeah. alive today. Yeah, likewise, the, the re-baselining ourselves to reusable rocket boosters is very interesting. Uh, just re reducing the cost of getting a kilogram of anything into space yeah. that much yeah, correct. is so important to actually being able to do anything in space. Yeah. So the, reuse, the reusable uh, rocket boosters are really, really exciting. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a beautiful time to be alive. It's also one of the most complex times to be alive. Eight billion humans, exponential technology, solving some of these pressing challenges. What about your, your thoughts on the, on the population size as well as the exponential technologies? Yeah, I, I think that that's one of these things that it's consistently throughout history uh, problematic because we don't know what the next thing is going to do, uh, what the next crisis is going to look like, what the next technology will provide for us. But I, I'm, this, this kind of sounds like indefinite optimism, the idea from zero to one, if you're familiar with yeah. it. And I'm not a fan of indefinite optimism, but I'm pretty confident in our ability to solve these problems going forward, yeah. right? Um, no, I, I think that for the most part, national politics is a bit of a distraction, but you saw recently a lot of people making fun of a certain congressperson for saying that we need new technologies that haven't been invented yet to solve problems like climate change, right? And like, yeah, it, it, the statement wasn't made in the most eloquent way, but the point that that congressperson was trying to get at is one that we're actually very, very good 
at finding solutions to pressing problems, yeah. right? I remember being asked a question way back when I was actually in high school at uh, an economics seminar that I was attending because I was a weird high school student who attended economic seminars. And uh, the question was, when will we run out of the last barrel of oil, mm -hmm. right? And it's a trick question because the answer is never, right? The last barrel of oil will become exponentially more expensive. And when it gets to that point that it's ridiculously, insanely expensive, that incentivizes entrepreneurs to enter the market and solve the energy problem, yeah, right? Yeah. It's this classic supply and demand. Yep. Supply drops down to extremely low left of oil. And, and if then, demand stays yeah. consistent, yeah. quantity demanded stays consistent, then the price is just going to go up. But then that also means the incentive for finding a solution goes up. Correct. Yeah, correct. And that's when we when our energy consumption uh, continues to increase and the uh, our ability to take something like uh, a uh, uh, a nuclear fusion, solar energy, things that have uh, close to as close to as zero uh, in net uh, uh, environmental effect versus a negative environmental effect, maybe even a positive some environmental effect, carbon sequestration, mm -hmm. things like that are mm -hmm. very exciting. I agree with you. Millennials and Gen Z and even younger will be tackling lots of these pressing challenges. There's a very strong optimism with that. Zach, I want to know about this journey. I loved learning about your work at Praxis leading up to, it was University of Penn, mm -hmm. and then I was University of Minnesota, and then we both, did you drop out after sophomore year? Uh, I went on leave after sophomore year, and I, according to the university, I'm just on indefinite leave. Yeah, that's but. the same thing with me, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, so then um, you going to Praxis, you were, you were identifying really powerful uh, young entrepreneurs and linking them up with really powerful high-tech uh, startups and then training their skill sets in business development. That was three and a half years yep. of, your, of your work there. And then... That led you to this, you know, the 1517 fund, the how to get ahead. So, yeah, tell us about this, this journey up until now. Yeah, uh, I was fortunate through this high school economic seminar I actually mentioned earlier to meet somebody who became a mentor to me. And I stayed in touch with this person. He went off and eventually founded Praxis, Isaac Morehouse. Uh, and I joined him while he was building that up, became the director of business development. And that was a whirlwind experience uh, because for what that company does, it takes this entrepreneurial young talent, places it at a startup, trains it in like business skills like marketing, business development, and sales. It, my role was a lot of career coaching, sales and business development, and recruiting all at the same time. Yeah. Uh, I learned a lot yes. very quickly. Yes. Uh, I largely learned that the vast majority of what young people are taught about their careers by guidance counselors or career experts that are writing books that are just republished every single year with minimal updates is wrong. Uh, a lot of what's being taught to people about how to get started in their careers and how to make the transition to the next step of their careers is just wrong. It's largely coming from people who haven't had to find a job since before the Great Recession many of whom haven't had to find a job since before the internet was invented, which is pretty scary when you start thinking about it. And it ends up hurting people who are ambitious, trying to get ahead, trying to start out their careers, and they're turning to the resources that they've trusted thus far through the school system, and they're coming up short. Yeah. So after a couple of years doing that, three and a half years, uh, I eventually uh, started writing more seriously about succeeding in your career and then more recently uh, joined the team over at 1517 Fund where we're more supporting the founder side of things, but a good chunk of my time is spent on 
helping our portfolio companies identify and recruit really outstanding talent. Yeah. And there's this very, very fascinating way of perceiving young people where they're, rather than thinking about them potentially getting uh, crushed by the collegiate slash uh, political, economic, social machinery, there's this other aspect of it, which is they can do the self-learning via YouTube, Khan Academies, all these types of things. All of a sudden you're getting these synthetic biology experts or you're getting these, um, you're getting these young artificial intelligence experts, brain-computer interface kids that are 16 and already starting to tweak with it. So this is the type of stuff that startups love. They love these young kids that are self-motivated learners that haven't been crushed by the economic machinery yet of needing to fit inside of a square hole as a circle, that type of thing. So this has also been one of the, one of the things that you know, you're writing about with how to get ahead so I want you to teach us, we have, you know, we have these assets as well. This is the, you know, the cover of, of the book. And one of the things, a proven six-step system to unleash your personal brand and build a world-class network so opportunities come to you. And let's talk about this opportunity machine. We'll talk about, yeah, this. Is the opportunity machine one of the central theses of the book? It, it's the central concept of the book. The book is broken down into six chapters each of which is represented as a step inside what I call the opportunity machine. And I call it that because I think you can think of your career like a system. You can think of your career like a machine. If you set it up and you do the maintenance, it works, right? And each step of that opportunity machine is something that you can do time and time again, no matter where you are in your career. Let's pull that one up. It's the next one, Ronnie. And then you can start with the top with focus yeah. and then run us through him. Yeah, I, I, I start with focus, which really means how do you set effective, meaningful goals, right? I think particularly for ambitious, smart young people who always got like good grades when they were in school, they've never actually learned how to set goals outside of school, right? And most goal setting exercises that you find in a lot of self-help books in particular are terrible. <laughs> there are things just like identify everything you want. It's like, that's not helpful. What people need, what people need to really feel motivated at work in their careers is to see themselves progressing towards the achievement of meaningful goals. Yes, sir. Every word in that sentence is important. Yes, it is. And after you focus on where do you want to bring yourself, what's the next step of your career, what do you want to see yourself doing, I like to think in terms of uh, one to three years, any further off is kind of mm -hmm. hard to identify, mm -hmm. anything sooner is too soon to be really ambitious. Mm -hmm. Then. You have to humble yourself and learn from people who know more than you. That's right. This is the unique advantage that people have when they're starting their careers and when they're making a transition to a new stage of their career. Because when you're starting something new in your career, your time isn't worth anything. It's, it's really, it's like, this is why people tell interns to go get coffee, right? A good internship, hopefully you're not actually just getting coffee. Totally. But you don't really have that much in terms of skills. You don't really have that much in terms of knowledge. So you have to learn from people who know more than you. I identify three types of people. I call them uh, teachers slash coaches, consultants, uh, mentors. These are the people you work directly with and advisors. These are people you might meet once, twice, maybe a couple times a year. And you ask them specific questions to try to learn specific kinds of knowledge from them. Then you actually want to go out and you want to create evidence of what you can do, right? Yeah. Evidence of what you've learned, evidence of your newfound skills. Yeah. So that's execution. And then once you've done that, 
you want to signal. So going back to an interesting point you made about there's all this knowledge out there, there's all these ways to access knowledge out there, Khan Academy, Coursera, YouTube, all these different MOOCs, all these different programs. But at the end of the day, if you go to a college campus and you ask, and I've done this, this is a fun experiment to do. This is something I learned from Isaac. Go to a college campus and in a room of 100 students, ask them this question. How many of you would choose to be here if you were paying the money you're paying, learning what you're learning, getting to do what you're doing, but you don't get a credential at the end of the day? In a room of 100 students, and I've, I've done this on maybe a dozen campuses now, in a room of 100 students, two may raise their hands, to which I tell them, great you should be a professor yeah. because this is an apprenticeship system for professors. Pretty much, yeah. Everyone else there is trying to buy a credential which signals something about them into the world. But it's a pretty weak signal. So this is why a personal brand actually plays an important part in the book. I, yes, I, yes, yes. At first bristled that phrase personal brand because it, it invokes the wrong images. Yeah, yeah. It invokes the images of someone standing in front of their rented Ferrari in their sure, garage, sure. right? Yeah, yeah. On yeah. YouTube. Yeah. Uh, but really your personal brand is, is, is your distilled reputation. Yeah. Like the fact that somebody was able to refer me to you, for example, yeah. is my personal brand working for me. That's right. Right. Yeah. So I talk about a couple different ways you can craft this brand, how you can get the right people to identify with your brand, how you can actually build tools to allow you to identify and keep those people's contacts. Then you actually want to actively go out and do the business development side of it, which is connecting. This is networking, right? Yeah. And networking isn't going to networking events. I hate networking events. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Most networking events, if you go to them, you just run into people who are uh, at the same stage in their career as you. And we can talk about that mm -hmm. in a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then you actually have to pitch yourself for new opportunities, which get you to the stage that you can start all over again and get to the next stage in your career. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then the cycle happens again when you level up yep. and then you keep going and level up again and keep going. So let's break this down uh, one more time with some added commentary. So I love the idea of having a goal. This has been now, this is over and over again being preached that you have to have some sort of a meaningful drive that you have in your life. And then that's with this one to three year time frame that you speak of. Like, where do you want to see yourself? What do you want to be doing that'll maximize you, you waking up every morning and loving what you do? And then you have this process of you're, you're identifying people and you said teachers, mentors and advisors and you're, you're identifying people that are smarter than you. So you have to have this hefty dose of humility. Yep. And the original yep. title of this chapter was Be Humble. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I was going to I was going to ask you where the <laughs> yeah, the humility is. That's perfect. Um, <clears throat> so. So when you add in this hefty dose of humility, say, I know nothing, I'm ready to learn from people that are smarter than me, then you have the guide which we'll get to about how to get meetings with, those, with people like that, um, how to learn from them uh, optimally. And then, <clears throat> then when, you're, when, you're, when you're starting, you, you kind of made this really powerful example of signal when you, when you said that when you're, you're getting a credential from a university as a signal, people are going way beyond credentials at, at universities. They're doing things like um, t testing, testing your coding abilities, testing your designing abilities. Because the credential from the university is not a very good signal. It's a signal and it's better than nothing. Yeah, yeah. So you need to have some more than nothing, right? It's a very blunt signal. 
It's a blunt signal and sharp signals uh, come from you having achieved things. Do you have your own website? These are very simple things. Do you have your own website? Have, do you have assets on your website that show that you're a good developer, that you're a good designer, that you're a good interviewer, that you have the skills that you're trying to get from the, from the job, from the profession that you're getting to? And then with, I love, I love the process of this, of, this, of this closing through on a full circle. It's just, it's, it, this, this, you, you, you see so many people aiming to find other people, you know, when you think of things as a topology and you think of things as, you know, based on clout, and then you see who at the top of the topology are the people you want to surround yourself with. They're not going to networking events. Yep. You have to find other ways to get introduced to them and, and, and maximize your potential that way and close the loop. I love this opportunity machine. And then in terms of opportunity cost and time, um, let's go ahead and go to that next asset. Yes. Yeah, so whenever you're in a new stage of your career, it doesn't matter what age you are. There is somebody else who is more experienced than you at that stage, right? So this is a, a, an image I actually have in the conclusion to the book where I say, you know, this book is something that, yes, you can apply at the beginning of your career, but you can really apply at any stage of your career. Unless you really are the best person in the world at what you do, which there's maybe like a few hundred of those people, period, you can reframe your opportunity cost in terms of, what is the new set of skills I need to learn, right? So yeah, you might be at point C where you are much more experienced than people at points A and B and your time is much more valuable than theirs at what you do. But if you wanna to get to point D, you need to figure out what's the difference in time, what's the difference in value. Uh, the best mentorships are not gotten through going to mentoring events. The best mentorships are gotten by finding very busy people and figuring out what is it that I can take off their plates that I will learn from doing, but isn't worth their time. That's the difference here, mm -hmm. right? And I think it's important to clarify with that even that there's two types of work that they're too busy to do. There's almost perfunctory work, which this is the work that like an assistant should do. And good assistants want to be good assistants and they're paid well for doing that. So I'm not degrading that kind of work. But then there's work that more of a mentee should do. This is the skilled work that can be delegated to a mentee. Yeah. You need to identify that work. And you don't just go to someone and tell them, let me be your mentee, right? Yeah. Most people that will kind of freak out. Yeah. Uh, you wanna go to them and you wanna say, here are four things that I think I can do that I think you need done. Can I do them? And even if you're wrong with these four things, right? The fact that you went out of your way to identify them and conscientiously put together some kind of plan to help that person will at least get that person to talk to you seriously about it. Yeah, that's really good. The, an example for, for those that are listening or viewing right now could be something like, for a show like Simulation, one could think of it as someone coming and saying that, hey, I know that you're spending some of your time doing video editing from previous interviews. I know that you're spending some of your time putting together the thumbnails and the bios for the videos. I know you're spending some of your time trying to categorize the different professionals that you have in this network of people that you featured, that you're trying to fundraise money in order to help sustain and grow the show. Uh, let me take those some of those things off of your plate. And then that, when you do that, um, this is something that Mark Cuban and so many other people have been saying that they love about people is when they can come take work off of that person's plate and then they're like great here's how the money yes to, yeah because you can know how to do that no, and at a certain point as you do this 
you gain certain skills and certain particularly tacit knowledge. That's the kind of knowledge you really want to learn from a mentor. Yes. This, it can't be caught, taught in a classroom. It can't really be taught in a book. It's taught by being around someone. It's almost absorbed by osmosis, right? As you do that, the cost of replacing you yeah. actually outpaces the cost of, of just paying you. So yeah. one thing I tell people is like, look, I understand not everyone can work for free. But if you can, or even if you can get a job at Starbucks to subsidize your cost of living and then work for free with someone you really admire who is on the up and up, you will eventually get paid. Definitely. Yeah. Yep. And then another thing that like that that's 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 extreme that's extremely important point. Also, you when you illustrate this, I just want to also make it make it clear for people that what you, what you can you when you're viewing this, it, it is slowly like that like where how much your time is worth depends on your level of expertise like you, like you said earlier and you can think about this again as a topology that it's going to take you a while to climb up to point D but when you're at point A you list these skills that are really important for you to slowly get to point B, C and D in this field. Okay. And we only get 30,000 days to live. A third of them we're going to spend sleeping. So that gives us 20,000 days. So being vigilant with our time, being vigilant with our stimuli, like, when, like you said, when someone is so vigilant with their time that they're not taking meetings and this type of stuff, what are they doing? Why is it important for you to learn from them then? This is these questions that are very pressing and that I enjoy a lot. Uh, horizontal versus vertical networking. That's the next asset for us. I like this a lot teach us about this. Yeah, so when a lot of people think about building a network, right, they often think about meeting with peers, uh, people that they went to college with, people that they go to grad school with, uh, people that they meet who are in a very similar stage of career as them, though they may have varied interests, right? I first developed this concept when I was talking to people about the value of higher education. I would come across the argument quite often where people would be like, oh, well, it's helped me build a network. And it's like, well, Okay, but who's in that network, right? Yeah. It's a lot of your fellow students. These are people who they, they might be majoring in something different than you. Uh, they might be from a different place than you. And that's nice. And, you know, getting some kind of diversity and background is, is good to have. But when it comes to actually making that step in your career, these often are not the people who have the referral power that you need, right? So instead, what I think is better to think about for networking as building a world-class network. I don't even want to use the verb networking, but building a world-class network mm -hmm. is thinking of a vertical network. So if we That's think right. of your network as an X, Y axis, right? Along the X axis, you have your field and interests, right? These are, you're in the center and as people move along the X axis, they're in different fields or different interests. Finance, coding, neuroscience, biology. Right, exactly. exactly. Yeah. And these and are all collegiate level. <laughs> these are yeah, all your peers, that. right? Peers, yeah. yeah. 20 year olds, whatever. Right. Yeah. And then, and a lot of people, I mean, even they, they go through their whole careers and this is what their, their network looks like. Yeah, yeah. And then you have on the y-axis the experience that they have, right? Yeah. They're all similar levels of experience. You know, you might have one friend who is in finance and has an experienced rich uncle or something, sure, right? Sure, yeah. But that tends to be an outlier or something that proves the rule, right? An yeah, exception yeah. that proves the rule. Yeah. Instead, I think it's important to think about a vertical network. And these aren't mutually exclusive, but if you're figuring out how you want to spend your time, a vertical network is the network that has the referral power that you can get, right? If Think about it this way. 
you want to get a new job at a company that you really admire. You have a friend who works as you know, uh, an account executive at that company, right? relatively junior employee. He can refer you over to a recruiter at the company mm -hmm. or to the VP of sales. Yep. Okay, that's better than nothing. Totally. But what if you had a, an advisor or a mentor who was an investor in the company, right? Yeah. Or who is an advisor to the CEO of the company or is the CEO of the company, right? right? And then they can refer you to the VP of sales. Which referral is going to carry more weight, yeah. right? Yep. So the question becomes when you're thinking about building a world-class network, where do I meet these people? How do I get introduced to them? How do I contact them? And it's not networking events. Uh, it's not by just hoping you bump into them. It's thinking about where do they spend their time? How do they think about their opportunity costs? Yes. Their time is way too valuable to be going to a networking event with cheap wine and a bunch of people looking for jobs, right? They spend what little extra time they have probably doing a handful of things. And I talk about some of these things in the book, but it might be, they might be going to industry conferences, right? Yep, yep. Where they're learning about more, or maybe they're even speaking, right? They're meeting other highly prominent entrepreneurs. Right, Yeah. exactly. I don't wanna be part of any club that would have me as a member, right? It's exactly that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, you're probably not going to meet these people at a, an event that's designed for people at your stage of your career. If you do, usually they're volunteering, they see that as kind of a consumption mm -hmm. good, mm -hmm. right? Uh, they'll spend their time on leisurely activities, right? Like what kind of activities do they enjoy doing? I tell people, look, it's like, you wanna meet experienced people who are significantly uh, more advanced in their careers than you, go to like a fancy wine tasting. You're more likely to find them there, right? If you enjoy wine, go to a fancy wine Volunteer tasting. at that industry conference that you're talking yes, about. Exactly. That's a huge one. Exactly, I, a, a significant number of the people in my own network who are people I consider advisors, mentors, whatever, are people I met because I was a student volunteer for nonprofits that held conferences. That's right. These people were donors too, right? They're donor galas. Yep. Get involved in the organizations that they donate to, right? Yep, yep, yep. So you want to think about where are they spending their time? What are their honeypots? Yeah, <laughs> this 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 example we can we can give uh, in in for for those viewing or listening is when you're going through let's say like we were giving an example of you know you're 20 years old maybe you're either in college or you're in like a coding school or whatever it might be you're doing some sort of a this this the, the work uh, amongst your peers and you're in the learning process your horizontal network is all the people that you're in school in that boot camp etc with then your vertical network is all of the people let's say you want to go into um, into computer vision or you want to go into um, uh, the highest levels of machine learning you want to really rocket yourself up in terms of coding let's say well you want to <clears throat> you want to find the people that work in those highest departments at Lyft or Uber or at Airbnb or Google or Facebook or these top companies because if you if you figure out how to message those people at the tops of the of, of those of the vertical um, at the top of that topology and you and you're able to provide them with value which we're going to get to right now with these with these scripts those are the people that are going to help catalyze your success they're going to open up tons of doors for you opportunities so and this is so much of it's yeah, just footwork so much of it's yep. just asking for referrals sending cold emails and being at the places where these people will be that's right that's the three ways that you really connect with these people i love it i love it being where they'll be sending these emails and doing this footwork to to set yourself up 
Ron, let's pull up the 12 email scripts done for you. So that's the next, the next asset. So this is, um, and even, even uh, prior to this, we have the actual, I want to pull up the, the blue um, okay. one more back. Yeah, yeah, all good. No, no, it's all good. Just, um, just the, this is um, what you did prior to this. Um, 12 done for you email scripts. And this is available on um, Zach's website. Yeah, this and, is totally free. Yep. This was something I put together when I realized it was like, okay, if I, I have people coming to me asking me for career advice, I have people I went to college with coming to me asking me for career advice. And so much of this comes down to referral, whether it's you're running a company and you want to get an investment, uh, you want to get hired at a company, you want, you're an investor and you want good investments. I was recently going through our own books from our first fund and a good number of our best investments were just referrals, right? You need to meet people, right? And look, I grew up in like rural Pennsylvania, coal country Pennsylvania. I don't come from having this fancy family network that I was able to just call on overnight, yeah. right? A good chunk of the people I met, whether it was doing business development at Praxis or it was while I was in school and meeting people, I met largely through sending emails. Yeah. And I did it the wrong way a lot of the time. Likewise. Right? I wrote really bad emails. And eventually I learned, okay, there's good ways and bad ways to write these emails. I've actually got a whole course on if you want to write your own emails, you don't want to rely on my scripts, here's the psychology of it. But for the core emails that worked really, really well for me, I was able to distill them down for about these 12. And if you can send enough of these emails and you can write them well, that can be the thing that you can get underneath your network with and open it up. That's the leverage point for a lot of people. And this one really comes down to just, can you write the email and can you send it? It doesn't come down to any privileged background. It doesn't come down to who you happen to know. How do you move that variable? I, I, want, <clears throat> I want to show an idea of, um, of this really quick. I have, I have here, um, and Ronnie, if you can pull this up, that'd be awesome. It's on NDI right now. Okay. Do, do you see it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I just have this example, and the this is me emailing uh, Yukai Chow, right? And this is me wanting to get in touch with him, uh, um, original creator on some uh, really interesting gamification frameworks and stuff like that. Yukai, love your work. I host Simulation in Downtown SF, a show featuring the greatest minds of our time. There's a lot of cool synergy to explore between our networks and visions. We'd love to host you on the program in April, May. If you're interested, send me some dates and times, Alan. Like, very quick, mm -hmm. to the point, mm -hmm. explaining how I'm interested in their work already. And giving and him a reason to reply, which is that he'll be on your show. He'll be on the show. There's a value add yep. for the person that I'm, I'm messaging. These, and like you can see right below, you know, sounds interesting. My colleague right down there, you know, Bruna is going to get in touch and, and set this up. So this is, this is what, I would, what I would say is one of the potentially best ways to do vertical networking is these very short two to three sentence at most emails that have the value proposition. They show sincere love for yep. the person that, 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 that you've already done research on them and that, um, and that you're trying to bring them value. And we have examples too of, of, what, uh, of, your, of your scripts as, uh, as well. This one, the first um, asset after the book, 
This one, this is um, how to set up meetings, how to get meetings. Yep. And you kind of you know, outline some of these points as well. Yeah, and, and I'll say too, I, I, shorter tends to be better than longer. Yep. What's most important is that the email is clear, compelling, and easy to reply to. So your, your email here was a great example. It was clear, who are you, what do you do, right? Uh, it was compelling, why should I talk to you? And it was easy to reply to, right? Yeah. If you get those three elements, yeah. it really doesn't matter how long it is so long as it's clear, compelling, and easy to reply to. I love that. <laughs> so powerful. So many emails are just hard to reply to. Hard to reply to. Yeah. Yes. If, if, you, if you tell somebody something like, you know, let me know what you think, that's a really hard way to reply to an email. If you say, would you be interested? That's a yes, no question, yeah. right? Yeah. Or here are three times I'm available. Yeah. That's an easy thing to reply to. But so many people, they leave their emails open-ended or I'll, I'll see emails, whether they're ones that people send me or that they're ones that my students send me, uh, they have no ask. It's yeah. like, yeah, yeah. okay, I know, <laughs> yeah. I know what you're trying to get at here, so I'm going to reply to you, but don't be surprised if people don't reply to you because it's, these are busy people. You get seven seconds of their attention. That's right. That's right. Uh, <laughs> at most, make it easy for them to reply. That's right. And, and this is, this get a phone call or meeting with a very busy person. This is the first, one of your first, um, first example in the, um, in the 12. And these scripts are so powerful. And the way that you explain them is very powerful. And I want to, um, I want to make it clear that, you know, this is, again, this is when you get higher and higher up on the topology of influence and clout, the people are guarding and guarding their time with more and more vigilance. So then for you to be able to make an ask um, via cold to do this vertical networking is so, so crucial. And then let's get, let's go to the script, Ronnie, the next one. Okay. And then here's where I really love what, you know, your, I know you, one of the, one of my main things about this that I love so much is that um, in the center part where you say some point of rapport. That's such an easy thing. And it's the sincere, tiny drop of sincere rapport that you've already done some research on them, that you already know and you're very interested in what they do. And it's so important that it actually be sincere. Yes. I, yes. I have a couple of blog posts on my site where I will take what is clearly spam. I have to be careful about saying this because Anyone can email me. I will not make fun of your email if you send me a, 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 an email that's not really well written. But if you're spamming me, like as big part corporate spam, I will make fun of your email publicly. So I say that because if someone wants to email me, please do email me, zslayback at gmail.com. I will not make fun of you if you send a poor email. But if you're spamming me like a corporate spammer, I will make fun of you. So somebody emailed me last year. You're like, hi, Zach big fan of your work in the crypto space, yada, 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 yada. I'm like, I've done nothing in the crypto space. That's clearly a BS compliment. Uh -huh. So you want to make sure that the compliment you're sending somebody is actually sincere about their work, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, one of my friends is a podcaster in Pittsburgh named Aaron Watson, and he, I've had him send me uh, his best cold email request that he's gotten for someone to be on his show. And I, I tear this down on my website. I've got this as an example somewhere. And one of the things that the person who emailed him did was they talked about how much they loved a recent episode of his show, but it wasn't the most recent episode. It was several episodes back, which means that they actually had to go and dig through the show yeah. and find an episode. That's right. And if somebody came to you, Alan, and said, I, I love this episode with Michael Strong, which was a couple weeks ago, sure. right? 
that shows them, that shows you, hey, yeah. they've actually been paying attention to the Absolutely. show. Absolutely. Yep. Not that they're just looking at the most recent one, finding something that they can say, <laughs> I like this, right? Yep, yep. That's important. That's Be right. Be sincere with people. People can smell BS. That's right. That's right. This is such a beautifully illustrated point about rapport. And you're going to get right to people's hearts by... by, by Going through the practice of falling on your face a lot. Yeah. You can't be, can't be fearful. You use this term, stress-free email. <clears throat> Not only do you want to use shortcuts like Zach's layback has provided, <clears throat> but also you want to go through the process of, 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 of being fearless. If you want to reach to, um, up the vertical network, you have to be fearless. What's the worst that's going to happen if you email this person who you really admire? They might ignore you. That's the worst. That's really the worst. <laughs> and you had this great example of, of, um, of a tweet that was sent out. It's like, when you email me and you don't hear back from me, it's one of two things. Either I, I, don't, I didn't want to reply to you, I read it and didn't reply, or it just got buried and I didn't even see it. And when, most often yeah. it's the second one. Correct. And so then reaching out again in a month or two is actually a great idea. Yep. And so this is the other thing. It's just a classic Wayne Gretzky quote. You miss 100% of shots in life you don't take. So to take these shots up the vertical network yep. and to take lots and lots of shots with short, concise emails is one of the best things you can do. It's one of these things that is called an asymmetric risk, right? Yeah, yeah. Like the downside's essentially nothing, yes. and the upside is huge. huge yeah. That's right. That's right. Massive asymmetric risk. Now, all right. Let's let's um let's talk about social capital in general. Mm -hmm. I actually heard this phrase from a school teacher in San Francisco. We're both getting our haircuts, and he goes. I'm financially poor, but socially wealthy. Mm. And I'm like, interesting, so are we. And I'm like, that's a cool way of phrasing it because social capital, social wealth is actually hugely financially wealthy too, but it's kind of, it's, 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 you, you have an, there's like an interest that's growing on it to become wealthy. It's compounding over time, but it's gonna take a while for that. So to build that when you're 20, that social capital when you're 20, in your late 20s, early 30s, is gonna help you a lot with those next 30 well, years. When, when somebody asks, you know, how do I build a company without raising venture capital, right? First of all, I tell them, great, you should try to do that as long as you can. I, I joke with people, I'm the most anti-venture capital person who works in venture capital. If and teach us why. For you as a founder, you should try to own as much as your company as long as you can until it makes sense to really put rocket fuel on the company, right? If you put rocket fuel on too early, it can blow up, right? And I think it's really important too, the more traction you can get, the more of the company you can own, the better price point you can raise at, there's all these factors that go into it. And if you want to build a company without raising a lot of money, right? One of the best ways you do that is you raise social capital in advance, right? Instead of raising financial capital, you raise social capital. Interesting. You get people who are more than happy to do favors for you, right? You're, you get people who they like you, they trust you, you've done something for them, not in this transactional way of like, you owe me now, but in the sense of, hey, you know, Alan's somebody that I really like, I really trust, I'm gonna do an introduction for you to this person who has tons of gatekeepers that's impossible to get to, right? Or, hey, I have a friend who, they have all this extra equipment you could use. Uh, I bet I can get it for you for like a really huge discount, right? Yeah. That is social capital. Every time 
you follow through on your word, every time you go above and beyond, you do these supererogatory acts, you put, you make a deposit in this bank account. Yeah, yeah, yep. And there's, there's, there's a very, I think important way you, you start listing these options, intro people to um, who should know each other, help with an extra set of hands, um, pick up value that's being left on the floor. At the same time, I wanna, I wanna make it really clear that there's other shortcuts that are really cool to leverage. One of them I think is to not use social media to the extent that a vast majority of people are using it. As in, um, I would recommend uh, deleting social apps from your phone. Um, so keeping Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, all off Snapchat, off your phone. One of my friends is a uh, Twitter celebrity, I guess, uh, named Ed Lattimore. Ed's a great follow if you're on Twitter. He's just at Ed Lattimore. Uh, but he's got a tweet that I actually have in the book uh, that I think is put very, very well. He says, you know, Twitter is a drug and I am the dealer. I am not the user. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. you want to view every, if you're going to be on social media, view it that way. These are massive companies that employ dozens, if not hundreds of PhDs who are paid very, very well, purely to destroy your attention, purely to take time from you. Yeah. You will not beat them. Yeah. And if you're going to use social media, use it in a very clear way that builds yes. your brand, that yes. helps you create the value and signal the value that you can create for your career. That's right, yeah. It's literally a psychometric profiles that are super well built out, a quantum computing strength that's pointed at your attention. You're um, not going to win. You're not gonna win <laughs> unless you come in with a really strong mentality of, 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 of building my, my brand, my personal brand, and, and that's, that's, that's one of the ways. Another one of the ways, I think, um, to, to do these uh, shortcuts is to enable oneself the creative space that they need to breathe, mm. um, to really sink into their own essence. Because when we're so on our devices all the time, thinking that we're doing productive things, but when we turn them off and we sit and sit down or lay down and just be, sometimes the creative thoughts, and this is famous, I mean, Einstein, Tesla, so many people were quoted talking about the importance of just being and letting creative thoughts arise. Cal Newport has a lot of really good work on this. Uh, he has a recent book called Digital Minimalism that mm. I suggest everyone pick up if they're interested in all what you're saying. He, he suggests take a 30-day fast from social media and then figure out which elements you need to work back in, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like for me, for example, I am on Facebook because I am all over the country all the time. I, the teams that I work with are distributed, so it's like, it's good to be on it for me to be able to Facebook message people, but I've deleted my entire newsfeed. Right? Yeah, yeah. newsfeed eradicator. Yeah. No, I, I've gone. I've gone above that, and I've unfollowed literally everyone I am friends with. I found a script that allowed me to do that. So on any device I'm on, the newsfeed is eradicated. Yeah, that's, right. That's great. Yeah. So, Cal Newport's uh, book, Digital Minimalism, is good with that, and then Deep Work is a good theoretical book on yeah. what you're talking about right here. That ability to make these creative connections. You need the ability to focus. So even in the execute chapter, yes. I mentioned uh, Paul Graham's got this great essay, maker schedule versus manager schedule. That's right. And if you are a maker of any kind, you're a writer, you're a speaker, you're a coder, whatever you are, you need to have large chunks of uninterrupted time to really get into the flow of things. Yep. Yep. You can't allow social media, you can't allow meetings, you can't allow phone calls to interrupt you. 
That's right, that's right. Phone on silent, phone powered off, all notifications off is another really powerful one. Don't get reeled in by the notifications. Focus, long periods of focus. Okay, Zach, I wanna ask you a couple questions on the way out. One of the questions that I wanna ask you is, you know, going into the exponential technology age, what are, if not the best, most important skill for a young child to learn? The ability to talk with other people. Uh, I, I think that we're still quite a while off from really being able to create technology that passes a Turing test for face-to-face -face communication, mm -hmm. right? Humans are weird, humans are hard. Uh, if you are capable of talking to other people too, it's what I call a high leverage skill. Yes. Cold email is another one of these things, right? Where it opens up other doors for you to learn what are like lower leverage skills that are harder, more tactical skills, right? So you need to make a career transition when you're 25 into a totally new career or when you're 55. Your ability to talk to other people, to build relationships with them, to put yourself slightly outside of your comfort zone is going to open up those doors for you to actually pursue those, those specific skills. And sales is one of the best ways to teach this. And building emotional intelligence to know how to um, and meditation to like deeply look at someone else's eyes and think about their entire life journey, how they got there, ask, asking questions. These, these things about um, EQ just drive rapport and relationships to whole new levels. I, I suggest that everybody get some sales job at some point in their career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, lo I love it. That's a great answer. All right, in the simulation questions we like to ask on the way out, Zach, are we alone in the cosmos? Uh, I, I honestly don't know. I like to think that if we are, that we are at just the very, very beginning of a, an epic story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. I think it's, it's too, it'd be such a boring story if we are alone and this is what it looks like, right? I, I like the, the idea of a human civilization that spans the cosmos. Yeah, yeah beginning of the epic story I love it and then next question is are we in a simulation this is like so I was a philosophy major and I always found the free will debates in metaphysics to be rather boring personally because it doesn't matter one way or another if we are, because I'm going to act the same way regardless. I'm going to live as if we're not in a simulation, right? I'm going to act as if I do have free will. Even if I don't actually have free will, I want to live in a world where I believe everyone has free will. Then people can take responsibility for their actions. They can take responsibility for their lives. A world where we don't have free will or a world where we, we live in a simulation where free will is limited uh, is a world where it's easier for people to get by with their excuses and that's not a world I wanna live in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the last question we like to ask on our show is, what is the most beautiful thing in the world? There have only been a few experiences in my life where I've been able to identify with the word sublime, like, like almost tear-inducing beauty. Yeah. One of the ones that has popped up a couple times for me um, 
And I think sublimity doesn't have to be visual. It can be auditory as well. Um, there's something about, and maybe this is because I was raised by an airline pilot, I don't know. There's something about coming through the early morning cloud cover and seeing the sun rising in the distance, like 7 a.m. out of a rainy city, and you get through the rain, you get through the thunder clouds, you get through the storm, and you get above that 10,000-foot cloud cover, and you can see the sun on the horizon. Mm -hmm. um, that's one of those moments where I'm like, wow, I am sitting on, in a chair, traveling hundreds of miles per hour, going to the other side of the country, and in a, in a situation that would normally have killed my ancestors from like dysentery, if not dysentery, then like being murdered by other people. This is pretty great. Yeah. I, I, the whole, the, the picture itself is beautiful, yes, but like the whole context of, I don't know, I, I really like human ingenuity. Yeah. As awful as airports are, as awful as modern airlines are, there's something about aviation that just still gets it for me. Yeah, yeah. That's a hard question. That was a good question. <laughs> well answered. This has been such a solid show. Super enlightening. Yeah, thank you for having me. This has been a ton of fun. Thanks for coming on, Zach. Thanks, Alan. Huge, huge pleasure. And when will we be able to have How to Get Ahead in our, in our hands? Uh, if everything goes to plan right now, it should be out uh, the end of the first week of June. You can pre-order it on Amazon. Great. Uh, also, if you hop on my email list, I am going to be offering some pre-order bonuses. Like I said, I've got some courses that I've built out. Sweet. Uh, so access to those. So things like that. Beautiful. And that's ZachSlayback.com. That link is in the bio, everyone. Also, um, follow Zach on Twitter. That link is in the bio. Um, get ready for how to get ahead. Go and share more of these stories about horizontal versus vertical networking, these email scripts, how to get built up your network, build up this world-class network, and go and achieve your actualization. Share your thoughts in the comments below. Share these thoughts with your communities, families, coworkers. And huge shout out to Ron Vogus. Thank you so much for producing and directing. We love you very much. And go and build the future, everyone. Support the artists and entrepreneurs that you believe in. Simulations links are below. We need your help in growing. And manifest your dreams, everyone. Life is short. Get it done. We love you very much. Thanks for tuning in. Peace.